Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we've been talking about being ready. And we've already covered several things. The first thing the Bible tells us we need to make sure of to be ready for His coming is that we're saved, that you've been converted. It's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's one thing to be in church. There are people today in church this morning. There are people behind a pulpit this morning that have devoted their whole life to the church. And if, they, if, if Jesus comes back today, they're not going to heaven. Why? Because they haven't met the requirement. The requirement is not that you go to church, although we're supposed to go to church. We'll talk about that in a minute. The requirement is not that you know who Jesus is. The requirement is not that you give, although those are all good things to do. The requirement is not that you read your Bible. The requirement is that you've given your life to Jesus Christ, to receive Him as the, sa- your sa- his, the Savior for your sins, that you recognize that on your own you do not measure up to God's requirement, which is to be pure, perfect, and holy your entire life. All of us have fallen short of that. Therefore, all of us need a Savior. The Bible says, that Jesus said, that, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth in Him should not perish. Whosoever means it's your choice. It's an act of your will. The second thing we learned is that to be ready is we have to wake up. We have to recognize the time that we're in. I went through that again this morning. Somehow I was in a deep sleep again. My alarm went off this morning. Every other morning I wake up. A Sunday morning somehow I get into a deep sleep and the alarm wakes up and I have to figure out where am I? What, what day is it? What time is it? And that's where many Christians are today. They don't realize the day and the hour that we're living in. The spiritual day and the spiritual hour we live in. So we need a wake-up call. And some of the circumstances in your life, although they may not have been brought there by God, they're to be used as a wake-up call to see where you really are. Where is your faith? Where is your trust in God? It's nice to sing that song, we trust in Jesus, all to take Him at His word. It's wonderful to get excited in church about that, but what are we doing in our life about that? Are we really trusting Jesus with everything? Have you turned your life over to Him to trust Him with it? So we need to, we need to be converted. We need to wake up. We then learned that, we, that there's, in, the, in the body of Christ there's some assembly required. <laughs> We saw that te- teaches us in Hebrews that, that as the more we see the day coming of His return, we need to tighten our relationship with each other. We need to make sure we don't forsake assembling together. That means coming together as His body. As we were worshiping this morning, I had this real sense inside of here that his, 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 God's heart was being ministered to this morning that we were warming His heart this morning because we were His children gathered here together giving glory and honor to Him for what He's done in our lives. It's wonderful to do it alone and by ourselves in the car, but that something else when we come together as His body together and we begin to express that appreciation and love and glory to Him. It touches God's heart. You can touch God's heart, but all the more as we come together. The other thing we saw is that we need each other in the times we're in. Because He's coming back not in good times. He's coming back in difficult times. And we are in difficult times. We know that right now. And so we need each other all the more. And we're going to come to the place where it may well be that we're all we got. Jesus and each other. But we are the body of Christ. So we've studied that. Then last week we began to look at uh, living right. And that was really popular. I had everybody jumping up and down. Sending me emails, oh, Pastor, thank you for this wonderful, encouraging word. (laughs) But believe me, 
When you stand, every one of us, we're going to see again this morning, will stand before him individually. We've been married 44 and a half years, but I'm going to stand before him separately from my wife. So I can't blame her for things I didn't do or did do, and she can't blame me either. All, every one of us is going to give an account, and that's what we're talking about, being ready for that moment. There have been times I've gone through and practiced that in my mind to help me wake up, to practice myself. If I were to stand before you right now, what would be going on in me? We saw over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, that there's going to be two responses. Some people are going to pull back ashamed. We're not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. That's a different judgment. We're talking about standing before the Lord. It's called the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And some of them are going to pull back in shame because they didn't do what they were supposed to do or did what they shouldn't do. And others are going to have confidence. We saw last week, it's your choice and it's my choice which one of those responses we're going to have. But now's the time to make that decision. Now's the time to prepare for which one of those two responses are you going to have. Because that day, that hour, it's too late to figure it out. Because what you will do then is based on what you have done from now until that moment. So we talked, we talked last week about being ready. That just simply means living right. Living right. Not living in sin. We talked about the difference between condemnation and, 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 and conviction. And today we're going to get into something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where this section of Scripture again talks about that day and that hour. Starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a, this is Paul writing, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Now the foundation he's talking about is the building up of the body of Christ. It's the work of God. It's the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples, they said, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. And what did he say? Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, we've done that already. We've hallowed His name. We've glorified His name. We've lifted up His name in our praise and worship. Then the next thing He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. That is the call of our lives. That is the purpose of your life and my life. Is to, is God has given us the privilege to be partners with Him in the carrying out of His will and the carrying out the establishment of His kingdom on the earth. My prayer more and more has been on a daily basis, Father, I want your heart today. What do, what do you want to do? Your kingdom today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God has a will today, a plan today, a desire today. He has a will and a plan and desire that He wants to work through you and through me and together through Faith Christian Center because we are a part of His body. And we spent most of 2010 in Ephesians 4 looking at who we are. We are the body of Christ. Now, we're not the entire body, but we're a portion of the body that God has called here together. And we learned and we studied that the vision that most, the image most of us have in church is we're a bunch of individuals that come together on a Sunday morning. But we saw in the scriptures that's not how God sees us at all. God sees us as one body, and we're different members with different functions. And so when Paul talks here about that I laid the foundation, he's using a different image instead of bodies using a building. But a building's like a body in this sense. It's a bunch of parts that have been assembled together, each part in their right place to perform their function. 
So you have a foundation that's made of certain materials. You have walls that are made of different materials. You have a roof that's made of different materials. But if you try to build a foundation out of the roof, you're going to have a problem. If you try to build a roof out of the foundation, you've got a bigger problem. <laughs> so if you, put the wrong, if you put the parts in the wrong place where they're not designed to work, it, the building will not be solid. So there's an order. So it's the same idea here. If there's an order. There's a plan. There's an assignment of each part to perform a function and to be in the right place. And Paul says, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. And so we see here, we see that the foundation which he lays is what? I laid a foundation. Wise master, I laid a foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds. That's what we're talking about this morning. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation for the church. And when Ephesians, he's the head of the body. The foundation is what that which supports it. The foundation is that which determines what it can do. The head is that which directs it. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now what are those? Those are different quality of building material. Different value of building material. So what he's saying here is all of us are building something with our lives. All of us are building something with our lives. The question is, what are you building in God's sight? These, all, these different materials, gold, silver, wood, hay, they have differing values. So what he's talking about here is what value does your life have? I'm not terms, talking about who you are. Because the only value we have to God is that we're His children. Your value to God in terms of relationship is not based on anything you do. So we're not talking about whether God loves you. We're not talking about how important you are to God as an individual. We're talking about how important or valuable what you've done with your life is to Him. What is the value of your life to His kingdom and to His will and to His plan? Because that's what we're going to give an account for. That's what we're going to give an account for. So he's talking about different materials. Gold, silver, wood, hay. You can do something with each one of those things, but the material has different value. Gold is more valuable than silver. Silver is more valuable than wood. And wood, and you can do more with each of those things, and wood is more valuable than hay. And the issue here is value to Him, to His kingdom, to His purposes, to His plans. If you work in a company or for, for someone other, well, especially if you work for yourself, and there's somebody else that works for you, let's put it that way then you have different employees or you are working among different employees and they have different values to your employer or to you if you're the employer. Some are faithful. Some are doing exactly what they suppose. They show up before they're supposed to show up. They may work later. And while they're there, they actually work. 
and you can trust them, and those employees are more valuable to you because they're adding value to your business. Then there are others that are there just because they're getting a paycheck. So they're not concerned with what value they add to, your, to the employer. They're just concerned with whether they're going to get... What, what's the minimum i got to do to get paid? They're not worth as much to that employer. Now, I guess the real question is, which are you? Because we represent Christ. I heard a story the other day of an employer who complained because he had a Christian working for him and that Christian spent most of their time preaching to other people on the job. He said, well, we're called to preach the gospel. No, you're called to not steal. Because if you're using, you're being paid to do a job. If you're using the time that you're being paid to use a job to preach the gospel, unless you're me. (laughs) Unless you're in full-time ministry, you're not paid to preach the gospel. You can do it on your break or wherever else your employer allows you to do it, but you're being paid to be valuable to that employer. And it matters to God because there are several sections of Scripture where God talks about servants and how their attitude is towards their master, whether they're valuable to them or not. But here we're talking about being valuable to the master. So what we're looking at this morning is when we stand before him, how is our life, we're not talking about whether God loves you or not, how is the way I lived my life and what I did with my life, of what value is that to God's kingdom and to him? How does he value it? You can't look at what you think is valuable. You can't look at what, you know, Sister Doodad and Brother What's-His-Name thinks is valuable. You've got to, we've got to look at what the Word of God says is valuable to Him. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Unless you want me to go back and preach on living right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we see in verse 12, Now everyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work, each one's work, that's what you did with your life, will become clear. For the day will declare it. We're talking about that day. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work to see what sort it is. Now, I don't believe that there's a heavenly blowtorch up there. That we're all going to stand in line, and when it's your turn, you're going to go, maybe. What I tend to think it is, because Revelation talks about Jesus' eyes. I believe, because when you stand before Him, realize you're not standing before someone that has an opinion of what you've done. We're standing before someone that knows. He is truth. And truth cuts through everything, every excuse, every good intention, every, everything that's not what you're supposed to do. It cuts through everything and makes everything clear. That's why John talks so much about walking in the light. First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. 
See, walking in truth is so essential because it's what allows God to bring His grace into your life. Because if you think you're doing everything fine and in reality you're not, you can't receive grace because you don't need it because you're doing fine. So facing truth is an essential thing. That's what's called repentance. It's facing the truth and making a decision. I'm going to turn around and act differently. So when he talks about your works will be tested by fire... See, all, all fire does to gold is refine it. All fire does to silver is to refine it. But when you get into wood, what does it do to wood? It burns it up. And depending on how hard the word wood is, it takes longer. But what does it do to hay? So what this fire, this truth is going to do is refine, make clear what was of value to, value to him and make it more valuable and what was not of value is going to burn up. There are some people who built their whole life on wood and hay thinking they're going to stand before him and get tremendous credit and in that moment of truth now there's good news okay gospel's good news Let's read on. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. Just get prepared. Each one's work will become clear, verse 13, for the day will declare it. Declare means make known. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which has built, he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Say reward. We're not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. He will receive a reward. Say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I just, as long as I get into heaven, that's all that matters. Yeah, now it's all that matters. But once you're there, you're going to leave eternity aware that there's things you could have done you didn't do. Aware that you could have, you could have, you could have had rewards that you, didn't have, that you don't have. So yes, it's good, as Pastor Sam used to say, some people just, you know, they want a fire insurance policy. Just tell me the, the least I got to do to get to heaven. And that's fine if it gets you there. But once you're there, now what? Because whatever it is, is forever. You understand in heaven we don't just sit around on clouds with harps going, you know. There's work to be done. In fact, when Jesus comes back, there's things He assigns us to do. Because he tells the, tells the Corinthian church, he says, you're going to court and you're taking your disputes as a Christian before pagans to decide. Don't you understand that in that day you're going to be judging angels? And we're going to see a story where Jesus talks about, you know, what, what, what he's... What, see, what you're, what, you're teach, what you're telling God is how faithful you can be, trusted, how much you can be trusted. Because then he's going to act, actually entrust things to you to do. But we're going to get there. So what I want to see right now is we're talking about, so if, if, if once, this, once this truth, once we stand before Him in the light of this truth, in the fire of this truth, whatever is not of God, of value to God, whatever is yours and not His will be burned up and what's left is of Him and that, for that you will receive a reward. Guess who decides the reward? You do. You determine the reward you're going to get in heaven. You determine it. 
not God. You determine it. Just as we have to determine whether we're ashamed or we have confidence. Okay. And this is what the Word says, isn't it? Okay. So verse 14 says, If anyone's work which, is built, which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what this is a process of, of refining and determining what you've done on this earth that was enhanced the kingdom of God and brought value to Him. But it's not just simply something you decide is of value. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Just go over a page or so. Let's see what this standard of judgment is. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let a, man, let, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Paul's talking about himself. And stewards of the mysteries of God. So what he's saying here is that for what Paul's saying, what, for what I was given to done, do my work, my purpose, I was made a steward of it. We're going to look in a few minutes of a little more of what that is. He was saying, God entrusted something to me. And I was made a steward of it. So a steward is someone that has a master. And the master takes something that belongs to him and entrusts it to the steward. The other side of that is that tells me a steward doesn't own it. He's been entrusted with something of value for the benefit of the master, not for his benefit. Are you with me with this? Because this is what all is implied in the word steward. It's very important for our study here. It's important we get this straight because Jesus has it straight. And he's the one we're going to stand in front of. So we better make sure we got straight what he has straight. Or it'll be crooked. <laughs> I don't mean you're crooked. I mean it won't line up. So the, when, G, when Paul says, for I am a steward, what, he's, what implied in that is I have a master, someone that I'm under, who has taken something that belongs to the master that's of value to him and has entrusted it to me for a, to perform something with that. Also implied in that, which we'll see, is I'm now going to have to give an account for what I did with it. All right, now what am I going to have to give an account for? What's the standard that's going to be applied to me when I ultimately have to give an account as a steward for what I have? For, for, go back on a couple of things. First of all, again, i got a master. What's been given to me isn't mine. Because it's not mine, I don't have the right to decide what I do with it. We're about to go on vacation, and where we're going to go, we're going to rent a car. We're renting the car. We're not buying it. Implied in that rental, and in the contract is not implied, they're not transferring ownership to me. They're entrusting the vehicle to me. And in this case, the purpose is so they can earn money. 
But there are conditions in the contract that limit what I can do with that. Why? Why do they have the right to limit what I can do with it? Because it's theirs. It's entrusted to me. And there are limits of what I can... I can't just decide, you know what? I think I'll drive it to Mexico. Because under the contract, I can't take it out of the country. I can't decide... I don't like the color of this. I think I'll have it painted. (laughs) Now see, with a vehicle I owned, I can do that. Why? Because it's mine. I have the right to do with it what I want. But if it's entrusted to me, I can't... There are limits on it. The other thing is entrusted also implies there's a purpose for which it was given, entrusted to you, to take care of it, preserve it, but to use it for the benefit of the master who gave it to you. That's all implied in this word steward. So let's see what the standard is then. Verse 2, Moreover, it is required... Not suggested, not hoped for. It is required in a steward that one be found faithful. So the standard we're going to see that we're accountable for is were we faithful with what was entrusted to us. Faithful not for our benefit, but faithful means there's a goal, a purpose, that's given to you, and faithful is whether you did it or not. That's it. In in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, there's a story of Jesus and a centurion. And the centurion says to Jesus, you know, my servant's stick at home, suffering with the palsy. Jesus said, I'll come. You know the story, we've gone over it many times. And the centurion says, no, you don't need to come. He says, because I recognize that you're somebody under authority the way I am. And you're someone in authority. So I recognize the authority of your words because if you say, my serv- here, my servant's healed, he will be healed there because the authority of your word has nothing to do with the distance between us. And then he defines what he meant by authority. He says, I understand authority because it's simple. He said, I have soldiers. When I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. I have a servant. When I say do this, they do it. And so it's that simple. Faithful means you did what you were charged to do. That's it. You did what you were charged to do. And Paul says here, I was entrusted with something. In his case, it was an assignment to proclaim the gospel in certain parts of the world. No matter what. And Paul says, it was required of me as a servant, as it is all stewards, stewards, that I be found faithful, that I did what I was called to do. All right. With that background now, let's go look at First Peter and let's see what it is that's entrusted to us. Say, so, well, that was nice for Paul. He was an apostle. First Peter, chapter 4. I mean, after all, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And I, you know, I, who am I? I don't have any gifts, I don't have any talents, I don't have, you know, who am I? 
First Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. So he's talking about what we're talking about. Therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, be serious, that's sober, be awake, be alert, recognize where you are, and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another, oh, I like it, without grumbling. Here's what we're getting to, verse 10. As each one, say each one. Say it again. Each one. That doesn't say as some. He doesn't say a few. As each one. That means every one of us. As each one of us has received a gift. That's an ability. Minister it to one another. As each one of us has received a gift. The word there means an ability. Let us minister it unto the Lord. No. To one another. Now here's where we got to we got to make a mental adjustment. This is the Word of God. We've gone over this before. God doesn't have opinions. God doesn't have ideas. He knows. So if God says, you have a gift, guess what? You have a gift. So for you to say, oh, I can't do anything, you're disagreeing with God who says, you have a gift. You may not have discovered it yet. But you have it. But if you don't believe you have it, you're not likely to discover it because you won't go looking for it or you won't recognize it as a gift when you find it. And we spent a lot of time two years ago going through some of these gifts and the parts of the body. But it starts by going back and recognizing there is a, there is a call of God on your life. Call just means a purpose. God has gifted you with something It may not be a gift to stand in front of people and to teach them. It may be simply a gift to encourage people. It may be simply a gift to minister, to help people. The largest ministry in the body of Christ is called the ministry of helps. I asked the Lord one day, I said, what is the ministry of helps? He said, anything that helps. That's what I got for asking. (laughs) Now the question is, is it helping? Or is it doing what you want to do? See, a steward can't take what he's been given and just do what he wants to do with it. He has to do it when he's told to do it, how he's told to do it, and where he's told to do it. You do understand that when you came to Christ, you died to who you were. So many people out there trying to find themselves, then you need to get saved. Because the Bible says when you came to Christ, you died to who you were and you were joined to who He is. Romans 6 is around verse 4. says, as many as have been baptized into Christ. That means joined to Him, not dunked in water. Joined to Him. Have been baptized into His death, His burial, and His resurrection. 
Paul says at the end of, I think it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, whichever it was, he says, for I've been crucified. No, he says, I, 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 through the cross, I've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you've already died to who you are. You just got to wake up and find that out. Stop struggling and trying to live your own life and yield and live his life in you. And you'll find life gets a whole lot easier. So each one of us has received a gift. So it starts by acknowledging there's a gift God's given me. There's an assignment. There's something God has entrusted me to do. See, John the Baptist understood that. He understood there was a time for it. So you've got to know when, 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 when God's timing, where, God, where God's place is. I believe with all my heart that God assigns people to churches. You don't have the right in God's eyes now. You can do what you want to do. But remember, you're going to stand before Him and not yourself. God assigns people to churches just like the DNA in your parents, in your parents assigns when you, the DNA in you. When that, when, when, when that first cell was formed in you, that DNA is a divine pattern for how everything was, your, what your body was going to look like and all the parts go to the right place and function the right way. There's a plan for your body. It didn't just happen the way it is. There was a design and a plan to that. And your nose is where it's supposed to be, assuming it's not out of joint. Your nose is where it's supposed to be because the DNA told those cells to go there, to locate there, and to perform a certain function. And what are we? We are the body of Christ. In the same way, the head, the the master, assigns each part to a body to function in a role in that body. And we saw in verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says that each joint connected together with the other causes the growth of the body in Christ in love. And the reason the body of Christ is not stronger, more powerful, more influential, more victorious today, in most cases, is because people haven't taken their right place, and if they are in the right place, they're not growing together in love. But that's changing. That's changing. You are a portion of of the body here. And if God didn't call you here, then you need to find out where God has called you. See, "Ah, you're telling people to go. No, I want you to be in the right place. I'm not trying to build a church. I'm not trying to build a church. Jesus said, if you do what I tell you to do, He says, I will build my church. His body. All right. Let's read on. My responsibility is to help you find your place and then do what you're called to do. As each one has received a gift, verse 10, minister it. The word minister means serve it to one another. Look at this. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold means many-sided, many-faceted of the grace of God. The word grace means far more than unmerited favor. That's the typical definition you get. It means far more than the grace by which we were saved. 
It is the ability of God. It is the ability of God to do what God's assigned us to do. And so there's this many-sided, many-faceted grace of God, and we're stewards of that. So God has entrusted to each one of us a grace, an ability, and it's got many sides to it, many facets, many ways of applying it, many directions. So you can't just look at me or someone else and say, well, I don't have that. You've got to see what God's put in you. And the reason more of us don't know what God's put in us is we're waiting for some divine revelation. We're waiting for an angel appear the way he did to Mary and gave her her assignment. I just realized I didn't finish a thought. To my John the Baptist. Remember when he's sitting in jail about to be beheaded? He says, I must decrease and he must increase. He knew that his assignment was over. His role of what he was called to do, which was to be a voice in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, that he had done that. And now that he had done that, his assignment was finished and he was about to leave and go get his reward. And you don't get a sense he's down there feeling sorry for himself, saying, look, you know, this guy got promoted. I, I made this possible for him. I'm the one that went around preparing the way for him and now he's getting promoted and I get stuck down here and they're going to cut my head off. What's happened to me? Where's God? He's left. No, you don't get that sense at all because you see, he understood there was a purpose to his life and he'd been faithful to perform his purpose and there was a reward awaiting him. This is the view we need to have of life. It's not about how, how's my 401k going to be. It's not, you know, it's not, those are okay to do plan. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not your life. Colossians chapter 3 says that if you, if you die with Christ, and you've been raised with him, then start seeking and thinking of the things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. Life is so much beyond this momentary hand's breadth, the Bible calls us. But this hand's breadth and what we do with it determines so much of what it's going to be like after the hand's breadth is over. So the, we're stewards. Remember what a steward is. A steward means you don't own it. So the gifts and talents and abilities, God, they're not yours. They've been entrusted to you for a purpose, and the purpose is to fulfill the Master's will, not for your benefit and your promotion. But there's a responsibility that goes with having given that. I can't, I can, but I don't want to just choose to say, well, it's my gift, you know, so I'm not going to use it. I don't, I don't feel led. I had a friend of mine who used to go around, somebody I knew that, 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 that taught on the Ministry of Helps, and the way, he, he would take a, a piece of, uh, and, and have people pass it around. And once it was done, he says, now the next time you go to tell your pastor, I don't feel led to do it, you just, touched, you just felt led. <laughs> it's a piece of lead that they touched. Because we use all kinds of excuses. The problem is they're going to burn away. All right. As stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now look at some of these examples he gives in verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. Why? Because I'm representing God. If anyone ministers, that word doesn't mean turn your collar around backwards. That word means serve. It's literally the word, we learned this before, for a table waiter. If anyone serves, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. 
that in all these things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How is God glorified? God's glorified because His kingdom is being enhanced and His will is being done. We're talking about adding value to the kingdom of God, to God, to what He wants done. All right, now let's go over to Matthew chapter 25. We began our study in this whole series in Matthew 24 and 25 because they're talking about, there are a number of parables in here, and, 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 but these parables are all talking about being ready, being ready for His return. And there was a, there's the parable of the virgins, and that was about not knowing the day or the hour. Chapter 25, we're going to go in verse 14. Uh, excuse me, chapter 25, one, we're going to verse 14, but the, the story of the virgins was the first 13 verses of this chapter. For the kingdom of, God, of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. There's that element again. So you have a master. He's going away, and there's something he wants done. So he calls his servants to them, and he takes something that belongs to the master, that the master owns, and he's going to entrust it to the servants. Verse 15. To each one, to, to, excuse me, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Look at this. To each according to his, that's the servant's, ability. This is, does several things. First of all, that means we can't compare ourselves to one another. We've not all been given the same assignment. The second thing it tells me is what God has given me to do, He's done it based on what He knows I can do with His grace. So I, I, I tried when I got stepped into this role, my first conversation with God is, you know who you got? Don't you understand? And God was patient and for a couple of days listened to all that. And then finally it dawned on me what I was doing. I was telling God He didn't know what He was doing. And I had to repent. And had to change my attitude. That means if God said to do this, then there was a way to do it. That means I may have to change, and I have had to change and continue to have to change. I may have to grow up in some areas. I had to say, God, but, there's a, but if, if you've called me to do this, there's a way to do this with your grace and help. But whatever inadequacies I see in myself, you've got an answer for them. And then I realized Paul had to wrestle with the same thing. Because Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I've learned this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul had to overcome some things. Paul had some weaknesses in his life that he had to overcome, some things he had to learn how to do. But the thing is, God knows what He's entrusted to you. The issue of whether you can do it has been settled when He entrusted it to you. So He's not given you something that's, that He knows you can't do. Now, now, can you do it in your strength? Oh, no. If you think you can, you haven't found it yet. But with Him, you can do it. He's not made a mistake in what He's assigned you to do. All right. So He gave to each one according to their ability. 
Then he had verse 16. He received the five talents, went and traded with them, and made five other talents. Likewise, he had received two, gained two more also. But he had received the one, went and dug, and hid it in the ground. I have a footnote here. It says, sat in the blue seat with it. I wonder how that got in there. Oh, excuse me. That was a coffee stain. <laughs> See, it's easy to read this and think that's somebody else. But he who received the one went and dug the ground in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time. See, the long time means you kind of get used to the way things are. Everything's going to be the way it is now forever, and we've already seen that's not what the Word says is going to happen at all. There's coming a day and an hour when suddenly, suddenly, He will appear. And that's what happened here. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. Because with stewardship, there's always going to be an accountability. There's always a time when you report back and the question is, what did you do with what I entrusted you? What did you do with what I entrusted to you? Okay. Now let's see what they did and let's see what happens. Verse 20. So he received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and good and faithful servant. We just read, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 2? It's required of a servant that he be found faithful. In other words, that he did with it what he was responsible for doing. No more and no less. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, last week we looked back and we saw in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, we talked about it a few minutes earlier, that when he comes back, some are going to come forward with confidence and eager to see Him, and others are going to shrink back in shame. And here's what I believe, to a large degree, is going to be the basis of that. Those who are going to come forward are going to come forward because, because they're anticipating hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words I live for. Those have become the focus of my life. Now, there's other things I do, of course, obviously. But the ultimate purpose of my life, what I keep in mind when I've got to make a decision of whether to do what the Word of God says or what I want to do. If there's somebody and I just want to bless them with that peace of, mind I, of my mind I can't afford to part with, or I want to do what the Word of God says, this is what I come to. There's going to come a day, a time, when I stand in front of Him. And I want to hear more than anything in my life. Well done. Good and faithful servant. But notice what he says here. 
He says, you are faithful over a little. I will make you ruler over much. See, what God is looking for in us, what he is testing in us, is can I trust you? Can I trust you with what I've given you to do? Because if he determines, and he determines it by what we do with it, if he determines he can trust us, now he's going to give us greater gifts, greater responsibilities, greater honor, because we've proven that he can trust us. Now let's look at the second servant quickly. Notice, enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, He had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you were delivered to me two talents. And look, I've gained two more talents besides that. And his Lord said, and Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, wait a minute, he didn't produce as many as the other one did. But he's found faithful. So faithfulness cannot be based on simply the results compared to other people's results. But faithfulness is based on what you were given to do. You will be measured and I'll be measured by what He gave me to do and what He gave you to do. You won't be measured by what He gave me to do and I won't be measured by what He gave you to do. But I do have to give an account for you. Peter talks about that. He says, those that watch over you will have to give an account for you. I've got to give an account for whether you were trained correctly, whether you were fed correctly, whether you were, you were loved correctly, whether you were ministered to correctly, because that's my assignment, my responsibility. I know what I'm responsible so clearly, and it determines what I do and don't do. My first responsibility is my wife. That's the first. She's the high, most important thing God entrusted to me, to take care of, to love her, to provide for her. Next is my family. And third is this body. I don't have responsibilities beyond this. I mean, we're all called to share the gospel and things like that. But I'm not looking for, to get on a speaking tour. I'm not looking to go out there and do all kinds of promote myself. I have a responsibility, and those are my three responsibilities. And those, the boundaries of those determine what I do and don't do. Because that's what I'm going to be accountable for. I'm not accountable if somebody you know, says, you know, well, you should be doing these things and you should be doing those things unless God gives that responsibility to me. They may be wonderful things. They may, they may, they may lift my name up and make me well-known. I don't care about that. See, I don't care if I'm known by the world. I want to hear one thing. That's all I want to hear. One thing. I appreciate your encouragement and the things you say to me, and I really do. Please don't stop them. <laughs> but ultimately what I'm looking for is one voice saying, well done. And that's what you should be looking for. Because if you'll look for it, then I'm going to hear it also. All right. So notice it's not based on what he produced. It's whether he was faithful to do what he was given to do. Well, unfortunately, there's a third servant. Verse 24. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. Oh, there's the first thing. I was afraid. Fear 
will rob you. Fear will stop you in your tracks. Fear will keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Well, there's a risk involved. People might not understand. People might not like me. I might fail. That's the biggest, one of the biggest fears that hold people back. I might fail. I guarantee you that if you become afraid, you will fail. It's not what people think of you. It's not what I think of you. It's whether you're faithful to do what God's given you to do. And this servant was afraid, and so he hid what, God had, what the master entrusted to him in the ground. And when he came back, he didn't have joy. He was ashamed. And he went and dug it up to give back, which means it was dirty, <laughs> soiled, to give it back to his master. And, and he had not been faithful to do with that gift what he had been entrusted to do. Turn with me over to Second Timothy chapter 4. And we'll close with this. Here's the Apostle Paul. We just looked at him earlier saying what was required of him. If we read on, he said, I, you know, he said, I don't even, he said, I don't know, know of nothing in my own heart that I failed to do that I was supposed to do, but that doesn't even mean I'm okay. He said, ultimately, it's what God says of me. Okay. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. This is the end of his life. For I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those are all different ways of saying, I did what I was supposed to do. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That's what we're talking about. And not to me only but all who have loved His appearing. All who on the day of His appearing will rush forward with confidence to see their Master. A crown, a reward for faithfulness, for righteousness. A crown of righteousness. And if you read on in Revelation, you'll find there's a moment when Christ is honored. And we all get to take the crowns that we've earned and throw them at his feet. I don't want to be there that day and be kind of looking around and have nothing to bring to him with which to honor him. You may be sitting here saying, well, yeah, pastor, that's great for you because you know what your gift is. You know what you're called to do. But I, I don't know. Well, there are some things I can tell you that I do know you're called to do because the Word of God says so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, around verse uh, uh, 18 and 19, it says, We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry of sharing with others that God is not angry at them, but through Jesus Christ, He's paid for their sins, and that if they'll come to Christ, He will receive them, and their sins will be washed away. We're all given, even I'm given that responsibility to share 
our testimony, to share what Jesus has done with us with other people. That's a responsibility we have. That's something that you have, that you know you have. It's your testimony, your story, what God has done for you. That's a gift that you have. That's a grace that you have that you can use and you can sow and you can, you can share with other people. And we spent time two years ago going over some of these, but it can be serving, just time. You have time. God's given you time. You're 24 hours in a day. What do you do with them? God's given you breath. What do you do with your breath? See, so I don't have any gifts. Yes, you've got breath. Do you, do you use it to pray? Do you use it to share with other people? Do you use it to encourage people? God's given you hands. He can touch people. You can, you can as I've shared with you, my wife's wonderful to watch in a restaurant. She'll pick some mature, I'll say now mature person. <laughs> I used to call them elderly, but they're mature. And, and, and she, or, or someone that looks lonely. I've tried, started trying to do this. Somebody around you in a line somewhere that looks lonely, and just look, smile. Just nod at them. That's all. That's not too threatening. And it's amazing. You watch them look at you, and they'll smile back. You just gave a gift. Yeah, but, but you don't know what it did for them. And what you'll find is you begin to give what you have. What you'll find is you'll find you have more. You'll begin to discover more and see more that God has inside of you and will put inside of you, but you've got to start the flow going. You've got to start, start by giving. Give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Yeah, now I know it's talking about money there, but that principle is the same. You start giving it and the flow starts. And you begin to see you've got things you can do that God will do through you. See, God cares about people. Not programs. Programs are so God can help people. It's personal connections with people. And where we're going this year, one of the things I'm going to teach you and show you how to do is be conscious of needs around you. People around you. In line. In your apartment building. Because they may be an assignment to you. Just to smile at somebody. But start your day making yourself available. Saying, Lord, here I am. I don't know what you've put in me to do. I don't know what you've charged me to do. But here I am. I'm available to you. And being willing to lay aside the excuses, because none of them count. They're all going to be burned off. And you'll stand there just as I'll stand there, pure, absolute truth, saying, what did you do with what I entrusted you to do? See, if you don't know what it is, then you can't be responsible for something you don't know. But you are responsible for asking and finding out. Praise the Lord. Are you ready? Are you awake? Are you connected to the body of Christ? Are you doing what's your assignment here? That's the purpose of your life. Whether you're a doctor, you're a nurse, whether you're a laborer, whether you're whatever, you, whatever your source of income and employment is, that's not, your, that's not your assignment. God may have you there because of what you do, but your assignment is beyond that. For those of you that follow football, we've seen a wonderful example this week and before this week of a young man who is put in the world's limelight now, but he understands that that's just a platform. God's given him abilities and talents and a position now and a platform, and he could either use it or not use it, and he's chosen to use it.
You understand that if you do what you're supposed to do, you'll get the same reward that Billy Graham gets. You're not responsible for what he's given to do. If all you're responsible to do is encourage people and you do what you're supposed to do, you'll get the same reward because the standard is faithful to do what you were given to do.